Hey Brock, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Pretty good. I just uh, I just caught up with your interview with Tanner from your week out in LA. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a fun conversation. Um, I actually have a few more of those videos coming with different YouTubers and bloggers. So kind of longer form. Um, you know, we'll see if anybody actually watches the whole thing. <laughs> but I thought it was a, a fun conversation. I did. I, I, there were several points we could do a, a whole hour breakdown just of that conversation. But the one that I stick most with me was um, the timeless style discussion. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really mm -hmm. thought of it in that way that uh, everybody kind of shoots for timeless style, but there really isn't one. You know, that's kind of a myth. Yeah, that that was really interesting. Yeah, that's that's why I love um, talking to Tanner because he he brings insights like that that other people. You know, it's opinions that might not be popular that other people just don't really realize. Because something like timeless style, I don't know who started talking about that, but it's so appealing, you know. And everybody kind of talks about it, how to build a timeless wardrobe, and you know, only buy timeless items, and just one of those things that myself included, people just kind of overuse. And and yeah, when you really think about it, it's just not, it's it's not realistic at all. It doesn't even really exist. <laughs> I know it makes me feel better about not buying very expensive suits because even if you buy the best Armani or Hugo Boss suit right now in ten years, it's probably going to look dated. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of funny because in 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 the current time, you can't imagine something that you're wearing being out of style or not cool. You, you know, hair. I mean, look at the undercut. You know, or, or more like extreme versions of the undercut. There will be a time when we look back, you know, 20 years from now, and everybody who had undercuts now has kids, <laughs> and their kids are looking at pictures and saying, why did everybody have this weird haircut? <laughs> yeah, one of my goals when I got married was I just wanted to have, like, a very moderate, classic, like, hairstyle, because I look back, and some of my dad's groomsmen had these huge mullets, and I bet they thought that was timeless for them. And so, yeah, timeless style is a myth. That's why I think those long-form conversations are actually kind of cool. I mean, I, you know, I know there are entire YouTube channels that are based around that format, like the Rubin Report, you know, or something like that. Um, but I, I don't know if YouTube is the best platform for that. Uh, but when you talk to somebody for a long time, you know, you you can get into some of that, some of those insights that you might not necessarily get out of like a five or six-minute conversation. I'm actually just watching your Spotify hack video, and uh, it looks it looks like a, a good little trick. Although I don't use Spotify, but for for users, and according to the comments, it looks like a really nice little trick. Yeah, I uh, I end up going back to that playlist all the time because I end up I'll, I'll listen to the Discover Weekly three or four times the week that it comes out, and then uh, I realized after the first few times they did it, there was no way to go back, and so now I've got this little archive of. It's like it's like somebody made a mixtape for you, except it was a machine. It's uh, you got a pretty um, a pretty eclectic uh, uh, playlist going on too. Yeah, Discover Weekly it it combines all of the things you already listen to, and then tries and goes, and then you know uses all of the additional user data, and so it's usually a mix of some rap and some like indie alternative and I find myself just I can listen to the whole thing and I never want to skip a song and uh, 
the the release radar is also pretty cool because it'll give me songs from artists that I frequently listen, and then it'll also give you a little bit of that sprinkle in some of the people that I would like based on other stuff. So I find it to be a little bit more accurate than Pandora. Pandora is very science-based um, like music patterns, but Spotify has so much data on what people listen to based on their preferences and what you might like based on that. Uh, I think it's I think it's pretty neat. I tried Apple Music for the three month trial when they first launched, and I keep I dip into it every once in a while to see because I know they do a lot of updates, but it never really grabs me like Spotify has been able to. I mean, I've I signed up for Spotify as soon as it came to the states, and I think 2011 or 2012. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So you're you're an OG at this point. I mean, for uh for technology, that's that's a long time. <laughs> Do you do you listen to music on any platform, or are you still buy an iTunes? You're a you're an old head. Nah, nah. I, I have a um. Well, I, I use it, the Amazon Music app um because I have Amazon Prime, so it actually you actually get a ton of music um on Amazon, and it's their their app is really good uh, for the phone. Nice offline mode, uh, so I always you know download some music before like a flight or something, um and then. If I'm if I'm listening to music on my computer, I usually just pull up YouTube playlists, um, you know, which like it it kind of depends. Like there, there's um there's a lot of good channels for like background music. There's there's a YouTube channel called Majestic Casual, which is like really really cool. Um, I, I guess different kinds of genres. I guess mostly in like the electronic genre, um, but it's basically this it's like this German kid just started finding music on SoundCloud and uploading it to YouTube and then he'd find like a really cool photo to go with it and he would link to the photographer and the musician and he just kept doing it and now he's got like two million subscribers or something and he's you know he's at South by Southwest and he's got like a record label and um, but the channel is still is still um, kind of like a taste maker I guess and still discovering a lot of really good music so I usually just put on a, a majestic casual playlist or something like that. Wow, YouTube and Amazon—it's very millennial of you. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've bought anything from iTunes in a while. I think the last one I bought was the Foster the People album, just because I, I saw them and like just really liked them, so I wanted to, you know, buy their stuff. But yeah, I know I follow the whole discussion debate between like. Uh, streaming versus buying and supporting the artist, but it seems more and more like if you want to support the artist, just send them money on PayPal or like buy their t-shirts because the deals that they have, they basically don't make money even if you buy it on iTunes or if you buy something. Like if you really want to support somebody, buy a t-shirt or buy their vinyl online because otherwise you're not really seeing the money. Yeah, yeah, that that, that seems to be the case. Or, you know, go go to one of their shows. I mean... Um, that, that seems to be how a lot of them make money. Actually, but uh, this is probably the most hipster moment of my life. I I went to uh, here in Tucson. My girlfriend uh, said there was like a show. Uh, it was like a bluegrass show, and she knew these people from college. And so we went to go see them, and it was like this really like cool. It was like at a brewery and like really cool little venue. And I had just gotten a a record player uh, from from this company um, for for my interior design website, <laughs> they sent over a record player, you know, for the sake of review or something, which I thought was pretty awesome because the site's new and doesn't get a whole lot of traffic yet. 
Hopefully they don't listen to this. <laughs> um, but so we had this record player. We didn't have any records. So we go to this little concert and they're selling vinyl, their album on vinyl. And, uh, you know, no, no one's buying it. I mean, everybody's buying T-shirts and stuff. And we're like, we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll take a record. It was like $25. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you, uh, did you see this weekend I put up a video? Because we have a record player for my son. And we buy him like 1960s records for a dollar at this local shop. And he's he's almost 18 months and he can already he goes through he has very specific records that he likes. He pulls the record out of the sleeve and he puts it on the table. And he now just in the last like two weeks, he puts the needle on the record and just starts it up. So like, well, we'll come down in the wow. morning. I'll go over and I'll start to make breakfast and then I'll hear him drop the needle and start listening to like the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang original motion picture soundtrack. Wow, that is advanced. <laughs> I really want him to have like analog bases to understand because I could do like a whole hour on how I will will parent my children, but I want them to have a basis in uh, how things work and mechanics and you know analog things. So um, that's that's a whole different discussion. But I want I was more curious I, as I was scrolling through your uh, your YouTube channel. Are there videos that uh, seem to have done better than others that you didn't really expect. Uh, I've got a few videos like that, but I was wondering what some of yours were. Yeah, um, there there were a couple videos that. Well, you know, I I think I, the thing that I've just discovered is like I have no idea what's going to do well and what's not going to do well. And like if I look at my most popular ones, like how to keep your shirt tucked in is is the most popular video, which I guess that kind of makes sense because. It's it's a problem every guy has struggled with. I think no matter who you are, you've you've dealt with you know having to retuck your shirt throughout the day, especially if you work in like a business casual setting, like without a jacket. Um, so that's that's one most popular one. And then the other one that's kind of surprising is uh, the second most popular one, the only three watches you need. I should have said the only three types of watches because I'm not recommending those specific watches. I'm just saying. If you're going to have a minimal watch collection, here's the three types of watches you should have. It got more downvotes than any other <laughs> any other video I've published, um, but it also has you know more views than most videos for, of my videos. So that's just kind of funny. It goes to show I just uh, there's no rhyme or reason. You know I, I don't understand their algorithm. Yeah, I don't really have a sense of that either. I you know I think that a video will be popular, but you never really know. Like um, I did an unboxing of Untuck It shirts and I had heard of them before. I didn't really know, um, you know, I knew that it was shirts designed to be worn untucked, but it's one of my most popular videos. And uh, based on the number of people that are buying through my like referral code, it's so popular. I had no idea that this company was, I, was so out there. That's funny. Actually, I, I've gotten a ton of questions about Untuck and I haven't reviewed them yet because I, I just kind of assume this, you know, they'll they'll be maybe they'll be the right length, but the sleeves will be too long. They probably just won't fit anywhere else, like it, you know, like most other shirts. I mean, did you? I, I actually haven't watched that video of yours. Did you like the shirts? They're okay. There's nothing remarkable about the shirts. They, um, they're. I think it's it's. Look, I don't know how they design their shirts, but. They're just regular casual shirts. Uh, I think maybe people are responding to the fact that 
they're marketing themselves as like the anti dress shirt where you just don't tuck it in, but really there's nothing special about them. They're just regular cotton shirts. I mean, they have good looking classic styles and patterns and colorways on their website, but that, that one, that one was definitely one of the most surprising. That's funny. Did you have any that, that you uh, put a lot of work into and you thought, you thought this video is going to be a hit and then just didn't get that many views? No, the nice thing about uh, all of my videos is I don't really have to work on them very much because I just unbox stuff and talk about it. I think that's become now the challenge. I, I want to do more summary videos, and that was you know the subscription one I did a few weeks ago was, was really the first crack at that where I've unboxed all the subscriptions. Now I have to talk about my findings from all of them, and right now I've been working on uh, – my subscribers would probably laugh is that I've been working on this dress shirt roundup and this made to measure suit roundup for the past like two months because I start to write the script and then I have to move my studio and then I keep writing the script and then I send my suit off to get tailored and it's just back and forth. So the videos that I actually have to put effort into now have been very delayed because uh, I'm just not used to it. I'm used to just turning on the camera, opening a box and posting something. Well, you know, those, I mean, that's a good format. I was actually, I was just talking to, um, to uh, uh, Andy from Primer Magazine about like production quality and you know the point of diminishing returns. I, I think people appreciate high production quality and, and a lot of effort, and people can kind of tell how much effort goes into a video. And I think you know, if they don't agree with what you're saying, most people appreciate that you worked on it, uh, that you worked hard on it. But at the same time, it's I think you've said this before. It's really about you know the content and what you're saying, not how the video looks. You know. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. Although I say just turn on the camera and start recording. I I watch before I started the cha my channel, I watched a lot of unboxing videos and I was wholly unimpressed with just wrinkled clothes and bad lighting and uh, kind of scattered thoughts. So I tried to take the turn it on and shoot it portion and make it look really good so that I can both speak to it really well and have it be visually appealing. So. I try yeah. my best to, and, and that's why. And now I've I've bought new studio gear and, and new lighting, and I want to try and uh, keep that going. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that I, I think I'm I'm probably I mean I'm still trying to find my stride a little bit with video, like the the whole production process. But I think I'll probably settle on like maybe two or three different formats of video, you know. And one is very casual. It's literally, you know, turn it on, start talking, no script or anything. And maybe that'll be the live videos, like once a week or something. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the really, you know, produced videos that have a lot of B-roll and stuff. And that's that's the process that I think I'm starting to get a hang of. But it's just it's so much more involved, you know, because you need to figure out like a shot list and a storyboard, you know, and, and all of that stuff and a loose script. Um, and you got to make sure you have all the right footage that, you know, when, when you're editing together, like an eight or nine minute video, you have, when you're talking about something, you have some B rules. So you can actually show people what you're talking about and not just, you know, have your face on the screen the whole time. I think too many channels are just kind of like talking heads when video is so, you know, it's inherently visual and the stuff we're talking about is inherently visual. So, you know, why not show them? Yeah, some of the unboxings that I do of like Sprezzabox that I forget to shoot close-ups of the product, uh, people comment 
they're like, Hey, like, can we see the tie close up? And so I always try to integrate that a little bit is, you know, here's the detail of the stitching and here's what the collar looks like up close. And especially with suits, like I try to get, you know, the inner lining, what that looks like. Here's the, the monogram and here's what the buttons look like. And so, yeah, you gotta, gotta convey it well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, we today we have Ben Sachs, who is the founder of Curfcase, which is a company that hand makes all of their uh, wooden phone cases. They do like iPhones, some of the Android phones, and they just launched their Pixel cases. And uh, they basically take like reclaimed wood or you know downed trees. They have this like laser precision cut. This guy went to. Um, CMU and he's got a background in design and architecture and uh, we just talked about how he started the company a little bit about him and I thought it was a, a pretty interesting conversation so we'll kick it over to Ben Sachs. Yeah beautiful cases I mean how did you uh, what what led you to building your own cases out of uh, like reclaimed wood and and fine materials of that way? Well I've always been a woodworker um I've built all sorts of things from houses to furniture, musical instruments. Um, at the time when the iPhone 5 came out, I was teaching at Carnegie Mellon in the School of Architecture. I, I studied there as, as an architect and I was teaching and I got an iPhone 5 and I bought a few different cases uh, from one from, I think, Verizon and another from, um, from maybe Best Buy and then you know, back then I didn't do as much online shopping, so I wasn't glued to my screen looking at all the cases. So I, I, I just really didn't like any of the ones that I had. And so I made one. I made one in the wood shop um, where I was teaching. And I took a piece of, uh, of windowsill that was mahogany from a windowsill. It was reclaimed from a windowsill. And I carved it on a uh, vertical milling machine by hand into a phone case. Um, I actually keep it in my office. So I'm actually holding it right now. I, I keep it as a reminder of where the whole thing started, um, the first curve case. And so I made this thing, and it was cool, and I used it, and other people saw it, and they wanted to know. They were, like, completely mesmerized, and they wanted to know where I got it. And I had to explain to them that I made it, and they said, they said, well, can I have one? Can you make me one? And so I, I did, and I made a bunch of them and, you know, started realizing that there was a demand for this and that's how the business really started it was it was my own personal need yeah, i think those are some of some of the best ones i mean uh you know when you make when you make things by hand i think that's they talk about that with the philosophy of ikea is the reason that people like ikea so much is because you invest your own uh, time and sweat into building your own furniture so even though it was lower end lower quality stuff you feel more proud of it because you put it together in, in some manner and uh it's not that's not exactly what you're doing but uh i think it's it, it's just really neat that you know you've, you've now expanded beyond just the mahogany, but you've got these like these just beautiful cases out of wood you can find. And I mean, how do you how do you like choose what wood you'll do, or um, kind of what's your give you a selection process for how you kind of focus on that? Sure. Yeah. When I first started uh, in 2013, I I was selling only cases that were made from wood that was native to Southwest Pennsylvania, and most of the wood I was getting was reclaimed from damaged trees. A friend of mine named Jason Boone started this um, company called Urban Tree where they actually reclaim street trees and um, mill them up and sell them, you know, for live edge 
tables and bar tops and, and those types of things. So I was getting wood from him and I was also getting a lot of wood from other woodworkers uh, because phone cases are so small, it allows us to go through and get scrap wood from different places. And so it wasn't until maybe a year or two in that I actually started going to seek more exotic type of wood or more rare woods that had different figure. And so it, so we sort of pivoted from only offering these types of native woods to now offering over 20 species of wood. And the cool thing is that the customers have a choice to make. And that's kind of like Ikea in the sense that they, you know, they, they just, they have one phone, but they can have all sorts of different choices for a phone case. Um, and even a wood phone case that you, you can make all sorts of different choices to make that. So um, the wood that we get is from local suppliers, um, but some of it comes from South America and from Africa and from India. Um, so it's imported by a local company that has good sourcing practices and then we buy it from them. Very cool. Mm -hmm. What have you, what, what have you like learned through this process about like building a business and kind of starting on your own, right. And, and doing your own thing. What, what's something you've really learned uh, from that? Well, I think the most important thing, I guess the most important thing that I've learned is, is really to trust your customers. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of companies now identify as a startup and the startup mentality is driven based on, you know, users or, or visitors or, um, you know, people who are using a product or downloading an app, they may or may not necessarily be paying, paying for it, um, but they're customers too. You know, listening to what the customers are telling you and looking at what patterns the customers are, um, are showing you in your business is really going to help your ability to maintain and grow. Um, I don't think of Kerf as a startup. I think of it as a manufacturing company or maybe a design studio. Um, we have never had investment. We're cash flow positive, essentially, from the first month of business. And we're driven by sales and, and by customers. So we're, you know, we're a company that's different than I think a lot of other companies out there. Um, there's not many companies that are direct uh, from the design of an idea directly to the end point consumer, uh, where we do everything pretty much in-house. So, you know, the, one of the other things that I've learned that's really important is knowing how to find the right people. Um, building a team is super critical and a team of people who you can trust and who can do things better than you can. Um, one of the first mistakes I made was to not bring anybody on board and to do all the things myself. And it was great for a while because I had total control over all the decisions, but it limited my ability to grow the business and it limited my productivity because I was doing things and spending time um, doing things that were easily done by other people and potentially even done better by other people. And that um, didn't allow me to do the things that I enjoy doing and the things that I add value to the, to the brand in doing. That's, that's something that, uh, that I've struggled with and I'm struggling with right now is letting go of uh, tasks and outsourcing and hiring and well, what was who was the first what was the first hire you made? Um, the first hire that I made was a person from tech shop uh, in Pittsburgh and he was 
a person who I met there. And um, that was a part of the biggest mistake that I made in the business um, was not having hired a person out of the gate. He actually left um, a little over a year ago. And I sort of invested a lot of time and energy into him as a, as a part of the company. And he just decided he didn't want to, you know, be part of the company um, anymore and left. And um, that was a, that was a big challenging situation. And so I think when you're, you know, when you're a very young company um, and it's just one or two people, when somebody um, does something like that, it, it definitely affects the trajectory. But um, thankfully I was able to, um, to have good people to drop to fall back on and now we're even stronger than we were before what uh i guess what would you what would what was your learning from that 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 brock might pick up on from i guess how to how would you have changed the situation or or uh maybe screened a little better yeah i mean screening is one thing you know you you really don't know somebody until you've worked with them for a year or two you know and then once you you know, once you um, once you get to know them more and more, you can start to make. You know, you should trust your instincts about those decisions. Um, the other thing that's sort of important is, you know, is always to have everything totally figured out on paper. Um, don't ever say anything verbally. Agree to things verbally. Um, talk about things that you wouldn't want to back up with a contract. Everything should be in writing, and all of the I's should be dotted and T's should be crossed. Even before you have a conversation with somebody, you should have all those things thought about. Um, there's just so many things that go into running a business that you don't think are important right away. You know, you're looking at how many people are visiting the website and how many cases or how many, you know, how many products can we make and how much can we sell them for and what's our bottom line. And there's all the other important things that you should be thinking about that are not part of that um, that that game. Well, what are some examples of those other important things like that you spend a lot of time and or energy on these days? Um, finding the right accountant, uh, an accounting firm, um, figuring out, making sure that your um, all of the taxes that you're dealing with are are in line um, from both sides of the equation. So for a long time, for example, I was paying. Um, sales tax on materials that I was buying in the state of Pennsylvania for um, for using our for building stuff, and I didn't realize that you could be tax exempt. So we we were as a manufacturer tax exempt. It could have saved us thousands of dollars from not having to actually pay that tax. Um, so having a, a good accountant who knows all the things that you need to know, um, from payroll to workers' compensation to um, all, all of the sort of the bureaucratic elements of running a business. Um, you know, it's simple things like, you know, how, how you pay your employees and your time schedule and um, knowing how the cash flow works. And, um, you know, for businesses that are seasonal like mine, we, we center um, around the holidays and around product launches. And so being able to, to forecast what um, finances look like, it's really only, you, you can only do that if you have a full grasp of all of the moving pieces. Um, and so I think a lot of people don't come to the table with that understanding right away um, unless they've had an MBA or have, you know, worked at a company for 10 or 15 years with a lot, a lot of experience. They come into it um, sort of naive to all of the nuts and bolts that are really going to take a lot of your time. 
Yeah. How, how do you, so, because you're obviously like a very creative person. That's part of the reason that you started this business and done all the other projects um, that you've done. So how do you find time to, you know, be creative? And because I'm, I'm assuming that, that that need, you know, to create things and to be creative hasn't really left you. So, you know, how do you how do you balance, I guess, running the business and all of that, um, you know, all the nuts and bolts stuff versus actually, you know, being a creative person? Good fucking question. <laughs> um, I, I think it's it's anybody who says that they have a perfectly balanced lifestyle who's an entrepreneur is lying through their teeth. Um, I think that there's everyone can try to achieve as close to being balanced as possible. Um, but the, you know, what, what motivates me, what wakes, what I wake up in the morning, um, for is knowing that there are problems that I have to solve. And if that means it's a spreadsheet or it's a design sketch, um, I'm happy to do that. I think one thing that's helped me, um, is sort of compartmentalizing my projects. Um, I do a lot of various things in, in my life, um, and being able to sort of spend time to focus on one one project um whether it's a half a day or an hour or 15 minutes to just devote to one thing um that helps a lot so you know i try to for example um get through a lot of emails and stuff in one batch and try not to to be constantly checking an email account or three different emails account every every day all day long um if you don't get a response from me, it's because I'm doing other things and it's, it's not, I, I don't think it's helpful to be sort of on constant watch or on a constant guard of your email. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have notifications turned off, but I just, I will respond to ones that are super important, but the other ones I'll just batch all together. And that allows me to spend an hour here or two hours here doing other, other things with a good amount of focus. Um, and then I think one thing that's super important is if you're a creative person and you're, you thrive on, um, you know, the sort of that process of creating, don't stifle it, um, by the nuts and bolts. So it's really easy to get bogged down and to be a business person and not a creative business person. Um, if you're, if you feel inspired or if there is a time where you just say you need to, you know, stop what you're doing and go do something that you enjoy doing, like, you know, sketching or building something or even just going outside for a walk and taking pictures or whatever it is that you enjoy doing, um, you should take that opportunity because it's kind of like sleep, you know, you need it every day in order to function. And if you're a creative person, you can't um, go without actually creating. It's, it's a, I, I think it's similar to like an endorphins or dopamine or something in your brain that's released um, where you get this feeling that motivates you to continue doing it. And the reward of creating for the creator, the reward is that feeling and continuing to do that is going to fuel you to be more creative. Hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, uh, with, with everything you just said. I, I think actually sometimes when, when you feel the need to be creative and yeah, it could be, it could be anything, you know, I think creative people like you, you, you have different avenues, you know, to express that. It's not just woodworking, it's, it's photography and, 
you know, maybe video editing or woodworking or running a business. But I think sometimes it's really hard if you're also an entrepreneur to spend any time that doesn't somehow contribute to the bottom line. And, you know, so if, if you want to do something that's, if you do want to take a walk and take some photos, you really, you know that that's not going to impact your business in any way. And so it can feel like a waste of time, but I, I'm with you. I think that that's the most important thing to do because um, that's going to help you recharge and then be able to focus later. There are plenty of ways to waste time and being creative shouldn't be one of those, you know? And so even if, even if it, nothing comes of it, if you're, you know, if you say, Oh, I have this great idea. I need to sit down and sketch and maybe make a prototype or, um, I need to, you know, wireframe out this website that I think is going to be the next, you know, it's going to be the Twitter of Uber or whatever. It's going to be ridiculously awesome. And two days later, you find that it's not a thing and it, and it was a good exercise, but you know, it, it failed. And th that's, you know, that's not a, a failure. It's, it's just learning something. And so, um, and it's kind of cliche to say that a lot of people say that, that, you know, you need to fail to learn, but if you don't try, if you don't, if you don't take that leap of faith in yourself to try to do that, you won't do it in the future when that next idea is the right one. You'll just, you'll just sit on it. You won't do anything about it. Hmm. Part of it is probably more important just to go through the motions of the pro, you know, the go through the go through the motions of processing an idea from your brain to something that other people can understand. And if that idea is, if it sucks, at least you know how how to make the process happen for you, so that when you do have the good idea, it it'll work. Yeah, you gotta flex it like a muscle. Right. Yeah, it's like practice, like you know, like Alan Iverson says. Oh yeah. Well, cool. I mean, that's. I think that's all. I mean, I'm I'm walking away with some some really really good information. Uh, is there a place that uh, you'd point people at to check you out and and see the cases? Obviously, at uh, at curvecase.com or I know anything anything new you're working on as far as like I saw you, you recently did uh, an Apple pencil, uh, not case right, but it it was an accessory for that. So uh, anything new you're working on, you want to point people at? We're gonna be launching. Um, the Google Pixel cases at some point in the next month, um, those are pretty exciting. They're uh, very similar to the iPhone cases, but I don't think that we've done um, a non-iPhone product that was as cool as this. Uh, we did some Samsung cases a while ago, but the Pixel is pretty pretty cool coming out. Um, we're definitely going to have a phone case for the next iPhone, which is later this year in September. Um, a lot of other things that we've been working on is improving our alloy case. Uh, it's the only 3D printed steel phone case that's available. Um, that case has a, a steel frame and some wood inserts in the back. Um, we just finished doing a custom run for a band, uh, can plug Anti-Flag, which is a cool Pittsburgh-based band that is known globally. Uh, they're going to have some of these cases on uh, for sale in their shows. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and you guys can check out, obviously, at curvecase.com on the internet. And um, I have a bunch of my own personal work on my website, bensax.com. So that's got a bunch of art and design and film. Great. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thanks for coming on to Buttoned Up. And uh, we'll, we will check out your stuff. And uh, we will talk to you shortly uh, for... For Buttoned Up, this is John Shanahan and Brock McGough, and, and thank you again, Ben.
Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to uh, talking soon. Thank you. Take care. Luck. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Buttoned Up, a podcast project by Brock McGoth of The Modest Man and John Shanahan of The Cavalier, and we will see you next week.